Well, good morning to everybody here in person, online, Branchville, if you're watching On Demand. Man, we are so glad that you decided to join us today. Now, we impart two of our new series, New Year, New You. Now, I know that uh, a lot of people in this building, and maybe you're a lot like me, New Year's start with new everything. Uh, You're surrounded by it. Kind of everywhere you go, every new store has got a new sale. You know, the jewelry store up by uh, uh, Los Bravos has been going out of business since I got here. And uh, they've got, you know, they were going out of business before Christmas. Now they're back and better than ever. And, you know, you've got all these new uh, new things going on and you you turn on the TV and somebody's got a new workout that you've never seen before. And they're like, you know, just eat one, you know, bite of Snickers and lick a piece of dirt a day and you'll lose 50 pounds. Okay. And it, it just incessant with new year, new you. And we're obsessed kind of as an American culture uh, of getting some new things. Guys, if we can bring up the house lights some. You know, we're obsessed with getting some things done a new way. You know, we, we try to change from the outside in a lot of times. We try to, to start some new practices, new behaviors that, that may not be something we normally do. Now, here's what I mean by that. Uh, uh, growing up around 16 years old, my uncle, Frank, who I love dearly, who's probably going to write me after this, but... <laughs> He came to live with us, and, you know, I don't know if you grow up in a family that's super close, and, like, I grew up in a family where every adult could, like, teach you something and discipline you at the same time. So my Uncle Frank was, you know, kind of the man of the house when he moved in, and when he moved in, he's, he took it upon himself to make me a man, okay? And every morning he would wake up, he would make scrambled eggs, Okay, fill up an entire glass of juice, but the scrambled eggs were scrambled with raw garlic. He was convinced that in order to grow big and strong and be vibrant, you had to have raw garlic every day. Now, this wasn't something he he did to himself. I mean, he would eat five to six cloves of garlic every morning raw. It looked like he was having a heart attack as he would grip the counter, like the intensity, and he would wash it down with orange juice, okay, which is acid on acid, and then my stomach would just turn, and he would make me do this every day. Now, that's not bad enough. That's not something you would normally make your children, but I would go to school, and normally when I would go to gym class, I would start to sweat. Now what was on the inside of me began to be shown on the outside of me, okay? Began to smell, radiate, if you will, to the other potential mates in the world. And uh, needless to say, I had none. Nobody wanted to go near Garlic Boy, (laughs) okay? Uh, No vampires, no emo kids wanted to come near me, okay? They were all afraid they would die, but... I had so much garlic that it would literally flow out of my pores, okay? You can't get a girlfriend and eat that much garlic, okay? I didn't have a girlfriend that entire year, and there was probably several reasons, but I blame the garlic. You know, we're starting this series, and and I want to challenge every one of you, if you haven't already started the 21-day challenge, join us 14 days into it. You know, maybe you're like me, and 
and you're like, I, I'm not a big fasting person, but there's three core values that we're trying to instill prayer every day, 10 to 30 minutes, Bible study. Okay, right here, this, this is provided. And fasting, giving up something to focus on God. Maybe you want to join the staff for the last two weeks where we go, you know, we're doing a Daniel fast, doing vegetable and fruits only. And nobody came up and said, Daryl, you look like you've lost a tenth of a pound. Because that's what I've lost. And so I look so much better already. Okay, I'm surprised you guys didn't notice. But join us. Grab one of these books. If you're online, man, maybe just go, not maybe, just go online to thehillsearch.info and follow along daily there. But we've been saying this. This will be, 2021, will be the best year of your life spiritually, or sorry, best year of your life, if it's the best year of your life spiritually. Okay, real change comes from the inside out. It's not something that, that happens from the outside in. A lot of times we try to fix external problems, okay? We deal with the symptoms of things. You know, have you ever gone to an emergency room and when you're in the emergency room, I've had this happen. I had a kidney stone, a couple of them. I felt like I was dying. Okay, I went in and they treated me as if I was not dying. They did an x-ray. They're like, oh, you have a kidney stone. We'll be back. I was like, yeah, but I'm not going to make it. Like, I don't think you understand. My outsides want to be, you know, my insides want to be on my outsides. I, I don't think I'm going to make it. And they didn't treat it as severely as I would because they knew something. Treating external symptoms is not the problem. When you go to a doctor, you want to know what's going on on the inside. Real change happens from the inside out. How does it, why does it work like that? Why do we spend all this time pursuing external change if it doesn't work? Because that's what we've been taught. You know, have you ever tried to make a kid focus who can't focus? Okay, my son, when he was in kindergarten, he would come home every day and be like, Dad, am I going to be a bad boy forever? I was like, what are you talking about? And the teacher, well-meaning, she had this little clip chart deal and if you clip down, you know, you didn't get a prize at the end of the day. And my kid would like clip all the way to the bottom. He just cannot sit still. He's the smartest thing ever, but he has to do a cartwheel while he does math. Okay. He can't sit still. He listens to music as he does work. He's homeschooled now. His teacher really likes him. So <laughs> as he's doing these things, okay, he's got to be moving. And a lot of times we try to force Everything on the outside of us, when something on the inside of us is what drives us to change. Your life is not driven by what you know. Okay? Your life's not driven by what you know. Your choices and decisions are not driven, are not made because of, they're not, why can't I talk this morning? Your life is not driven by what you know. Your choices and decisions are made by your desires, not by your information. You can want something really bad and it won't change. You can have all the information in the world of how to change it and it won't happen. I like to go on cruises, many of them. Been on 21, not so much anymore. Apparently that's a thing of the past. But when I used to be able to go, I would watch all these people who had never worked out a day in their life, done anything. They would go to the gym on a cruise ship. I'm like, boy, do you have this backwards, okay? I'm like, you don't start working out on a cruise ship. You stop working out on a cruise ship. 
But they would go, and then the trainer would be like, I have these, these seaweed wraps that if you wrap yourself up in these, you'll lose 10 million pounds in two days. And they'd spend all this money on something that they were trying to change an external problem that is happening on the inside. These are internal disciplines that we need as individuals. They go by our desires. If it was based on information, we live in the information age. It is easier today to get any information you want than it's ever been. Okay, when we went to school, when many of you went to school, we all had the same essays when we turned them in because we all use the same Encyclopedia Britannicus. Okay, like many of you, when you got married, that was a gift you got. How many of you owned an Encyclopedia Britannica set at home? Thank you. You're a real Christian. Thank you. Okay, we got more up there. Yes, you had to have them. If not, there was no information. There was no Google. There was no Twitter. There was nobody going to tell you a thing. And it seems like the more information we get, the happier we should be, and it's not working. It's not working because the external things, the things we're trying to change, are internal desires. They're internal desires. There's things that we actually want. Your life's not driven by what you know. Your choices and decisions are made because of your desires. Haven't you ever known when you wanted to do the right thing and you just didn't do it? Have you ever been in the scenario where you knew clearly it was the right thing and you just don't do that thing? Okay, many of us can identify with Paul where he says this in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. It says, I don't really understand myself. For what I want to do, what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I do what I hate. I can relate to that, man. Sometimes, you know, I'll fly off the handle at my wife and I'm like, why do I do that? And I'll give myself every excuse under the sun too. I'm Hispanic. That's the way we fight. Okay, my house, whoever yelled the loudest growing up won. That's how you won an argument. It didn't have to make sense. Who cares what sense? You just lob bombs one right after the other at the next person. And whoever yelled the loudest won. Okay? I don't know if you're like this. You, you spend money when you should have saved money. Or we know we have problems with our diets, yet we're still doing the wrong thing. And it's tough. Why do we struggle in these areas? Because information is not enough to make changes in your life. Internal desires, things that you have on the inside of you, only change when you deal with them on the inside. Where does that come from? Where does this, where does this love or desire come from? Okay, human beings are first and foremost lovers. At our fundamental core, we are all made to love. Every person in here, every person online, every person, no matter where you are, you were designed to love first. You're made in the image of God. God designed you. And God is love. You desire to do what God wants you to do. And it's hard. But you are first desired to love things. You know, we see this, that God is love, and we wonder in creation and all of us, and we imagine these things, 
and, and go, God, how can you do this with me? How, how can I be love? How can I be made in your image and desire different things? A lot of times, we're not moving towards God. We're moving away from God, and we don't realize that where we're pointed to determines where we end up. You know, there's a certain species of shark that if it's not constantly moving, it dies. It needs water to go through its gills to get its oxygen to survive. And whether we like it or not, many of us are in that same category. We're in that same thing. We have to be constantly moving to God or we get sidetracked and start doing our own thing. You know, several years ago, about 20 years ago, I was a youth pastor. Uh, not 20 years ago, but it's been a long time. I was a youth pastor, and uh, we went tubing down one of the rivers in Florida. Uh, it was a spring, a natural spring there. You can't just go in a river in Florida. Don't do that. So we're going down this tube, and there's about, I think we have about 250 students with us. And I'm one of the youth pastors, and there's a huge sign at the end of this four-mile thing, do not go past dangerous alligators, rapids, you know, mangroves. It's going crazy. And every quarter mile, there's a big sign, pay attention to the end mark, pay attention to the end mark, do not pass, do not pass. We've got this young lady, her name is Bobby Lynn, I'll never forget her, because she is the center of the party, man. She is having a great time out on the water. We're not drinking, but you would have thought she was. She is out there. She is just enjoying life. She has, you know, people are laughing at her jokes, so she is just loving this attention. Well, the problem is attention time's coming to an end, and there's, she sees a whole group of 250 kids plus merge over to the left. Not Bobby Lynn. Bobby Lynn's having a good time. She doesn't want that time to end. Huge sign. I mean, it's got to be the size of this screen. Do not pass. Very dangerous. Muy peligro. Okay, like it's in Spanish for everybody. I mean, it's got it. Okay. Who goes sailing under the bridge? Having the time of her life. Bobby Lamb. And she's just like, woo-hoo-hoo. I'm like, stop. Don't go there. Swim this way. She's like, hi, pastor. And everybody's laughing at her. They're having such a good time. Well, the problem is the rapids really do pick up, and the river opens up, and it's mangroves now. There's no longer a bank. And if you know anything about mangroves, it's just thick woods. Like, you're not getting out of there. Well, she starts going, and she starts screaming. She's like, I can't swim. Yeah, I know where this is headed. Okay, I'm a youth pastor. I don't get paid enough to save children. Okay, but I'm Cuban. I'm good for 90 miles, guaranteed. So I dive in that water, and I swim after her. She jumps off her tube onto my back and immediately holds my arms down. So now I'm kicking my legs, trying to hold myself, and Bobby Lynn, God bless her, you know, she's, never mind. Anyway, we're going down, and I can't move my arms. She's got like a, a bear hug on me. So finally, I have to kind of hit her a little bit with my arms to set myself free, and she puts her arm around my neck. Now I can't breathe. So I spin myself around. I grab her. I was like, I will kill you myself. 
if you don't let me swim you to the side. Okay, she's like, okay, okay, just do whatever you gotta do. Okay, all I did was swim four feet to the left and we could walk. So I swim over, she's like, you saved me. I was like, no, you don't understand. I didn't want to save you. I just wanted you to follow the sign, but you wanted to do and have a good time. It was more important to you that you do what you wanted to do as opposed to what the signs were telling you you should have done. And many of us don't realize that our desires are in the driver's seat of our life. Our desires drive us around, and you know what? Our brain is in the passenger seat. And every now and then we're like, hey, you know, we're like, no, this is the way we're going to go. And our desires laugh of us laugh at us because they're like, no, you don't. You don't want to go that way. Clearly, if you wanted to go that way, you would do some things a little bit different. But the truth of the matter is we do these things because we want to. You know, I can fly off the handle when I get angry. The truth of the matter is I do it not because it's who I am, but because I want to be in control. So my desire at that moment is to be in control, not do the right thing. I've given myself, have you ever given yourself an excuse to do the wrong thing? And then you're like, no, I'm totally good with that. No, you desire that. You desire to be in control. And it's sad because it overtakes us. You know, at the start of this year, I wanted to start off every year, or not every year, every day by moving, doing some sort of exercise. And every morning when I wake up, my brain's like, we need to do this. And my desire's like, you need to sleep. And I'm like, right on, brother. So I haven't done it once this year. Okay, I'm not very good at it. The truth of the matter is, I wanted to be in control. I let my desires drive and my brain takes the passenger seat. Every action we choose is driven by some desire that leads us to believe that if we choose it, our lives will be better for it, even things we don't want to do. That's the truth of the matter. The truth is we end up doing things because we think they're going to help, even if we believe they're not going to, because somewhere deep down inside of us, we're like, no, that, that's going to help. It's temporary, but it's going to help. It's going to give me pleasure in the moment, so it's going to help, and then you realize it's just brought on a bunch of pain and hurting, and disappointment. You know, Blase Pascal, a French theologian, said this, all men seek happiness. This is without exception, checked out without exception. Everyone is after happiness. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to descend. And then he ratchets it up even further and says this, he goes, he goes, this is a motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. It doesn't matter what we're doing when our heart's desire is focused one direction. You can have all the right external problems. You can have all the right external feelings. You can want, 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 want. If your heart's desire is not focused on the things of God, you will go your own way. Your behavior is tied to your heart. 
Your behavior is tied to your heart. If you really want to find out what you love, look at your own heart. Your heart pursues the things that it worships. Now, worship is not just coming in here and lifting your hands and going, Jesus, you're amazing. This is the greatest thing ever. Now, that's not just worship. It's one aspect of worship. But that's not all of worship. At some point, all of us worship something. You know, biblically, worship is music, praise, and, and, and prayer, and all this time. But we're all worshiping different things. You know how many people it's sad that are stuck worshiping a political party right now? How do I know that? Because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So when I see you on social media, you're like, I will go down with this ship. And I'm like, don't go anywhere without Jesus. And you're like, this is my man. If you didn't vote for this one, you're going to hell. Then we got the other people. If you didn't vote for this guy, you're going to hell. And I'm going, if you both don't change your minds, you're going to hell. Because what you're worshiping is temporary. And it will not last. It will not give you the desire you're looking for. Some of us, we worship jobs, results, pleasing people, trying to you know, prove to people who are long dead that we are successful. Idolatry is not about bowing to a carved image, but taking something that isn't God and making it the God we pursue. Or taking something that God created and worshiping it. You know, back in the day, people used to worship the sun and the moon and all things that God created, but they didn't worship God. They worshiped all the attributes of God, but not God himself. Idolatry is not just bowing down to those things. Idolatry is taking the something God made and turning it into a God. Many of us, you know, the things that we care about most in life has nothing to do with God. The things we worry about the most have zero to do with Jesus. The things we worry about, finances, hedge fund, golf game, football team. I'm stuck there. I'm working on it. Good thing my team's been terrible for many years. And until I get my heart right, I think they're never going to win a game. But that's the deal, man. When we start making other things that are not God, things that God created, the things we pursue, our heart chases after those things. So let me point it to you this way. If I'm facing this direction and the things I worship are in that direction, that's where I'm going. And if Jesus is not in that direction, he's not showing up. He doesn't just get to come in on the scene. It has to be. It doesn't... It's not a bad thing to have other things in your life. It's bad when they come first. And out of the abundance of your heart, that's where it comes out. So if you want to change, what do you do? First, you've got to change what you love. First, you've got to change what you love. In Ezra chapter 9, Israel, you know, is a nation at this point that's been taken captive 
by a king, and they've been there for seven, 70 years as exiles. And this king took the best and the brightest. The Babylonians took the best and the brightest. And after years, 70 years, a new king comes along and says, hey, would you like to go back to your land and rebuild it? So many of the Israelites are like, yeah, let's go back. So they go back and, you know, Ezra is super excited about this, super excited about what is happening in, in this time. And about halfway through the book of Ezra, Ezra goes over to Jerusalem. And it's kind of a good news, bad news type of thing. When he gets there, the good news is, is that they've rebuilt the temple of God. The bad news is that so many of them had intermarried with different cultures in their time in Babylon, okay, that they started to worship those things. So they brought those things into the house of God. Now, when I say intermarry, you know, we're kind of used to it here in America. It's like a melting pot of all cultures, so we're used to it. And some people will take it out of context and go, that's where you're not supposed to, they mean races there, and that's absolutely not what it means. I married a beautiful white woman, and I'm going to heaven. Okay. So what happens here is God, back in the Old Testament, said this was a big no-no. And the reason why it was a big no-no to intermarry in those times was not that God couldn't handle it, the influence of these other people that they would have on them, on the Israelites. And we see this, Ezra sees this when he shows up on the scene, okay? He shows up and they're sacrificing their children in the house of God. They're worshiping idols that they've set up everywhere. They're sacrificing things that God didn't ask. So we see this in Ezra chapter 9, verse 3. It says this, When I heard this, this is Ezra, I tore my cloak and my shirt and pulled my hair from my head and my beard and sat down in utter shock. Now, you may have heard of this back in Bible times when they would get really angry about something. They would rip their clothes off. It's a good thing we don't do that today. Okay, I'd be up here, for, be like, how could you not tithe? You know, and that's what would happen. Could you imagine being so angry you ripped your own hair out? Okay, I've been mad at my kids before. I've been angry. I mean, angry. But I've never wanted to rip my own hair out. Okay, or rip my beard out. I might do it for fun. But I didn't do it out of anger. He pulls his head out, or not his head out, he pulls his beard out, and he's appalled. Why? Because all throughout the Old Testament, God is shown as a lover with his bride. A lover with his bride. The Old Testament, that's the parallel every time. And it's like, Ezra goes, how can you be unfaithful? How could you cheat on God? The man who loves you more than life itself. How could you do this? And we read in Ezra chapter 9 verse 4, it says, Then everyone trembled at the word of God of Israel gathered around me because of the unfaithfulness of the exiles, the people who left Babylon, who were Israelites, who came back, the unfaithfulness. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. How crazy, how relational is that word that God uses, unfaithfulness? How crazy is that's the way he views our relationship? When you don't do the right things, God's going, why are you being unfaithful to me? What have I done? 
Maybe some of you have been on the other side of that. Someone's cheated on you. Imagine that feeling. That's the way God feels when we go our own direction. God's like, why would you do that? What have I done to you? If you want to see real change in your life, you have to change what you're pursuing. You have to go after a different God, the one true God. In Ezra chapter 10, verse 2, it says, Then she, I can't pronounce the rest of his name, son of Jehiel, one of the descendants of Elam, said to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to God by marrying foreign women from other peoples around us. But in spite of all that, in spite of this, there's hope for Israel. Look at that last part. It says, but in spite of this, there is hope for Israel. In spite of everything that's going on in your life, there's hope for every one of us. That we will push down the idols in our own life. Push down. It is, some of you, you're like, you come to church, you, you do the things of God, you walk in, you pray a little bit, and you go, boom, checked it. And you don't realize that God is not asking you to do a checklist. God wants to have a relationship with you. He's not asking you to come do this in remembrance of him. Like, it's not just like, come do this as a show. He's like, no, I want to be a part of your life, your everyday life. Ryan, if you'll come join me, I'm going to close. I'm going to crash land this thing. It is not a problem to have other things. It's not wrong to love golf. It's not wrong to want to be wealthy. It is not wrong to want to do these things. It is wrong when they come before Jesus. Why? Because at the end of your day, the creator of this world, the guy who gave you everything and created you in this image, wants to have a relationship with you. Watch how you're praying and see, see if you pray like this. Are you praying for God to fix things? Or God, I want to know you more. Those are two different prayers. God is not a genie. You can't just come up and go, oh, God, take COVID away. No, it's God, see me through COVID. It's already here. See me through it. God, I... I want this to go away. No, 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 no. That's not how you pray. God, take me through the storm. I trust you. I'll listen to your voice. I'll guide you. Don't take the storm away. I'm supposed to learn something. Everybody who prays, God, take this away. We'll have to learn another way. Learn what we have to learn now so that we don't have to go through it again. And I promise you, one of the things that God is trying to teach everyone in this church, online and around the world, is put your trust in me, not in man. Man will let you down. Hello? I don't know if you've noticed, everyone I liked, I no longer like 10 days later. They've all let me down except for Jesus. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he seeks to have a relationship with you. 
In John 14, 15, it says, if you love me, this is Jesus talking, if you love me, keep my commands. It's crazy what love motivates people to do. That's why Jesus died on the cross for you, because he loves you. That was the desire of his heart, his desire of his heart. He could have, I mean, he was God. He could have gone any direction he wanted to, and he chose to go the route of the cross. Why? Because his desire was to see you through. And there are so many people that don't realize that the relationship that you want, the change that you want to see happening in your life will start from the inside out, not from the outside in. Stop looking for your external things to change. Start changing the way you view God. Examine your own heart. Examine your own heart. What do you love more than anything else in the world right now? And you're like, man, I, it's not Jesus right now. That's okay. You got to get there. Because you won't be able to live like Job who lost everything, his entire family, and say, you know what? It is well with my soul. If God's not on the throne, you won't trust him to take you through the storms. So I'm asking you to change your prayer life. Stop asking God to fix things and ask God, take me through it with you. God, I want to know. Asking God for help with your life. Are you asking God for help with your life or asking God what kind of life he wants you to lead? That's my question to you this morning. Are you asking God to help you with your life or asking God, what kind of life do you want me to lead? I promise you, man, after all this is over, I've never done a funeral. I've never done anything where anyone said, I wish I had done this better with my money. I wish I had done this better. I wish I had done this better. But I know tons of people who wish they had spent their life changing the lives and hearts of other people. Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. You and Jesus. Everything else is going to go away. With every head bowed, nobody looking around, close your eyes with me all across this place. If you'd say today, Daryl, I don't know that Jesus you're talking about. I don't even know if I can start praying, God, your will be done. If that's you today, will you raise your hand so I can pray with you? I just want to pray a quick prayer with you. You don't know Jesus and you want to today. Will you raise your hands right now anywhere across this building? You can put it up and put it right back down. Thank you. Man, maybe you're online. Maybe you're in worship center too. Will everybody pray this prayer with me? Say, dear Lord Jesus, I ask you today to be my Lord, my Savior, and my very best friend. Jesus, change me from the inside out. Today, I want to be a new creation. And it starts with who my God is. In Jesus' name, amen.